Hello and welcome to Small Biz Pod on Thursday the 31st of March. We've got a great show coming up for you today, including a, an interview with Anita Campbell, who edits Small Business Trends, one of the most interesting and useful blogs on small business issues, uh, mainly in the US, but also around the globe. We also have an interview with Mike Siegel, who runs a speed networking event for small and medium-sized businesses. In addition to that, we have the usual roundup of news, views and opinions from around the small business world. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to say a, a big thank you to everybody who's commented, uh, sent emails, uh, and, and provided feedback on the first Small Biz Pod, which was broadcast last Thursday. Uh, do go to our website at www.smallbizpod.co.uk if you missed it. Uh, I really appreciate all the, the positive feedback. Uh, Glenn Watson, who appeared on the show and did an awful lot to promote uh, the show and encourage people to listen to it, uh, has also received some, some very, very positive feedback and comments. I'm really glad you, you are enjoying the show. I'll, I'll read out one or two of the comments that have come in this week, uh, although sadly there's not time to read them all. Uh, Linda Riley, who edits Small Business Brief, the small business blog and, and newsletter, uh, kindly dropped me a mail to say how much she was enjoying the show and that she'd, she'd feature it. In addition to that, Paula Gardner, uh, who runs uh, doyourownpr.com in the UK, uh, also sent me a, a very sweet email, so thank you very much for that, Paula. Finally, a big thank you to all of the web forums on small business that uh, were so positive and gave such great feedback uh, over the last week. Uh, particularly, you can get it.co.uk forum, where uh, there were some amusing uh, but very positive comments. Uh, Rachel there was uh, kind enough to liken me to uh, one of the Radio 2 presenters. And uh, I think if you, you know the UK, uh, Radio 2's not always been the, the most trendy of shows, but uh, I'm very flattered. So just to reiterate, if you want to give us some feedback on the show or make some suggestions for content or, or possible guests to interview, do drop us an email at info, I-N-F-O, at smallbizpod.co.uk. That's S-M-A-L-L-B-I-Z-P-O-D, or one word, dot co.uk. Or uh, bear in mind that the, the website for the show is, in essence, a blog, so you can click on the comments there and leave uh, your views online for others to see. Very often that starts a, a nice little debate going about a, an issue or a topic that appears on the show. So please feel free to, to use those little comment links at the bottom of the, the blog entry, which in effect is the, the show notes. So uh, let's move on to uh, our first interview. Okay, well, last week we referred to the government's desire in the UK to see a US-style enterprise culture flourishing in the UK. Uh, but what exactly does that mean, and, and is the US really a more entrepreneurial nation than the UK? Uh, perhaps it's the pioneering go-west spirit that makes our American counterparts so good at creating new businesses, or, or what is it? Well, um, it's a great pleasure to welcome to Small Biz Pod today US small business guru uh, Anita Campbell, who is editor of Small Business Trends, which is one of the best websites out there for uh, anyone interested in, in daily news on trends that influence the small business market, uh, not just in the US, but, but across the globe. Anita, welcome. 
Well, thank you very much, Alex. Great to uh, great to talk with you. No, pleasure, pleasure. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, and why you decided to to set up Small Business Trends. Well, I'm a refugee from the large corporate world. Uh, I spent most of my career working in larger companies, uh, publicly traded companies on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, the most recent large company that I worked for uh, is Bell & Howell Company of the camera fame. And I did a number of things there. Um, the last thing that I did working for Bell & Howell was that I started up an intrapreneurial venture called Motorcycle World and it was designed to help motorcycle dealers market themselves on the internet. Subsequent to that I left Bell & Howell and went out on my own. That's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Really started working with friends of mine who had started businesses. I happen to know a lot of entrepreneurs. And from there decided uh, I would just you know, hold myself out as a consultant and found these neat software products out there called blogging software packages that are just wonderful uh, content management systems that make it easy to publish on the web on a regular basis. So I started a business blog called Small Business Trends and just from there it's kind of taken off in ways I never really even expected. Yeah, it's certainly become a, a fantastic resource, but also more than that, it it, it also uh, I think brings brings people together. You make all sorts of connections um, through blogging. Uh, you and I talking today is an example of that. Uh, exactly. I, I think it's a very very valuable tool. Um, so if we if we move on to uh, our original topic, which was looking at, uh, at enterprise culture uh, as i said the the uk government here is is holding up the us as a an example of a of a flourishing enterprise culture what do you think it is that that characterizes the us enterprise culture well some of it is a desire um to to be your own boss uh, and in fact that desire has become oh it's become a trend in and of itself. So starting your own business is, you know, is a very hot thing in the United States right now. Um, as these these sort of group mentalities will will lead certain things to become hot. That's what's happened with starting a business. Also, you have an aging baby boomer population, many of whom have left their corporate positions and so it's it's become uh, quite a thing for some of these these older baby boomers and I don't say older in the sense of being old I mean just being part of a group that is now over the age of 40 and I include myself in that group of course right. But we're, um, you know, we're part of a group that, uh, you know, sees a chance to do something on our own. And, you know, it's one of those cultural things that kind of feeds on itself and, and kind of fuels the, the, the flames, if you will. You mentioned that, that it's, it, it's kind of become the thing to do or, or, or perhaps fashionable. Do you think there, are, there is any risk that uh, people will, will think, leaping into running their own small business is a great idea uh, and then find it a lot harder, more difficult uh, 
and perhaps become a little disillusioned with it, or, or, or do you see it as a, as a positive? Well, overall, it's positive. Now, that's not to say that there won't be many failed businesses. There, there will be. Uh, there always are. And what we're also seeing is, is kind of a new trend in what I call the um, on-again, off-again entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is that you might have someone who starts a consulting business or some other kind of services business typically, um, sticks with it for a year or two, and then through that business is offered some kind of an employment position. And so the person then will leave that business, go become employed for possibly a couple of years, and then might come back again and start another business. So they're, they're kind of, we're, we're seeing that nothing is permanent and people are moving in and out of <clears throat> entrepreneurial situations and employment situations and just going back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's a, a hugely valuable experience um, running your own business. It teaches you a lot, and whether or not you end up being a, a successful business person or growing the, the business that you've started, if you do then return to, to employment or, or a corporate culture, I think it, it, it allows you to, to, to bring a whole new set of insights. I, I think that's, that's absolutely right, Alex. That's a great observation. Uh, it really does uh, enrich your uh, experiences in total to have spent some time running your own business, even if you don't ultimately stick with it, even if you become employed by a large corporation again. Uh, you bring that entrepreneurial spirit and, and the sensibility of what it's like to be responsible for bringing money in the door each and every day to that employment position and that yeah. can only help the large corporation yeah abs absolutely i mean i think it i think it's definitely sharpens people up <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> having to put having to you know go out there and, and actually physically um earn every client and uh, and earn every pound or pence or cent uh, it makes a big difference it does. Um, if if you were to give three pieces of advice to to anyone thinking about setting up their own business what what would they be uh, first, keep it simple. That means figure out what it is you can sell that's relatively simple and get out there and start selling it. Um, when you're starting a business, unless you're a really experienced and well-funded entrepreneur, you can't spend a lot of time on complex businesses that take a lot of time to, to put into place and, and get the foundation going you're going to be responsible for bringing your money in the door so you've got to have something you can sell right away so that's my first piece of advice okay second piece of advice is bootstrap you know it's very sexy and exciting to think about venture capital and getting funding for your business um, the reality is uh, fewer than one percent of businesses are funded by venture capital money the vast majority of small businesses, startups, are self-funded, meaning that the person uses their savings or possibly other earnings that they're earning through a part-time job to fund a business on the side. Or they go to family and friends and get, get some input, you know, some financial input that way. 
but bootstrapping is definitely the way to go. You don't want to burden yourself with a lot of just debt from the very beginning because you dig a hole you can never get out of. That's an, it's an interesting point, and uh, one that in the UK, uh, very often people say, oh, well, of course, in the US, uh, you know, venture capital there, uh, people are much more willing to, 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 to fund, investors are much more willing to, to, to fund smaller businesses, uh, and it's not really like that in the UK. So interesting to, to, to hear that perhaps it, the, the, the sensible advice the, uh, on borrowing money uh, bears true both for the US and, uh, and in the UK. Yes, I think that's right. And if you are going to get some money, you know, a relatively small loan would be the best way to go after you have some revenue coming in and you get a sense that you're going to be able to earn enough to repay that loan. But grand plans that people have of going after venture capital and they're going to create a business plan and go out and get it funded, all it's going to do is, is take your attention off your business and you're going to spin your wheels for a long period of time yeah. only to find out gee, you're not going to get any money anyways. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I interrupted your, your third point. I okay, think. third point is that you've got to persevere and stick with it. Um, starting a business is something you do for the long haul if your goal is to start a business and stick with it and grow that business over time. You've got to, you've got to think longer term. So that means you have to first of all be able to have enough money coming in or enough money to live on so that you don't run out of money too fast while the business is growing. Um, you also have to look at customer relationships and other elements of your business from a long-term perspective. Um, going for the quick hit is probably not a very good strategy. You want to think about you know, getting customers who are going to come back to you again and again so that you don't have to go out and keep acquiring new customers because that's expensive. Every new customer takes a lot more time and money on your part to acquire than an existing customer who keeps coming back and buying more products and services from you. I think all of those are, are great tips, uh, particularly for those who are who are, who are thinking about uh, about starting up. And indeed, for a lot of businesses that are already running, it's 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 quite good sometimes to go back to basics and think, "Hang on a minute, am I focusing on the on the right areas?" Uh, so so thank you for those. Um, finally, uh, clearly, small business trends uh, is all about the website is all about trends uh, in the small business market how things are evolving, the, the challenges and issues that are arising in the, the small business market, uh, both in the U.S. and, and in, indeed uh, around the globe. What do you see, Anita, as, the, as being the major challenges facing the small business sector in the U.S. over the next 12 months? The biggest issue by far for small business in the U.S. is health insurance. Ah. And I, I know that in the U.K. there's a very different system of health insurance. Um, in the U.S., it's a, it's a crazy thing, but um, it basically health insurance is employer-provided for the most part. Okay. So people expect their employer to provide health insurance, 
and that they might have to contribute a small portion uh, towards funding the premiums for that health insurance, but that the employer is going to pick up at least 80% or more. Um, the government does not provide a health insurance system except for those who are you know, indigent, on the dole, or uh, elderly, um, retired people. And what has happened in the U.S. is that you have very large corporations that have premium, uh, you know, Rolls-Royce type of plans. And, and what has happened is that the American consumer has sort of lost its head about using health services. Uh, expecting top of the line for everything, paying no heed to the expense, or, or whether something is, is, you know, they just might forego something. Uh, you know, many things are discretionary in health services. Um, but we in America have not thought that way. We've come to expect that everyone wants and gets the Rolls-Royce health insurance plan. And what that has done then is driven up the cost of health insurance. And so small businesses, let's take an employer who has perhaps, you know, 10 or 20 employees, the cost of that small business to provide health insurance for their employees takes out a much larger chunk out of that business's bottom line than it would take out of, um, out of uh, Microsoft's bottom line. Mm -hmm. So small businesses are very hard-pressed to provide adequate insurance for their employees in a fashion where they can they can afford it and they're also being pressed because they're providing health insurance that may not be the Rolls-Royce plan even though it may be entirely adequate um, and that puts them at a, at a disadvantage yeah, it's a competitive disadvantage when they're trying to recruit employees. I, I can imagine. I, I have to say I hadn't appreciated that that, that is some significant burden and uh, there's always much debate uh, politically and, and around dinner tables about the uh, NHS and its future in the UK but uh, sometimes I, uh, I don't think we appreciate quite how lucky we are over here uh, and I'm sure the, the, the small business uh, groups would be uh, very distressed if there were any moves to to to, to put health insurance uh, onto uh, smaller employers. I I think you're 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 absolutely right, and I would count your blessings. Yes, absolutely. Um, in in the UK, um, you know, I'm not one much for large government programs, but when it comes to something as fundamental as health insurance. Uh, it's obviously we need to make some changes in the U.S. And in this, I think, um, you know, the U.K. has a system that um, at least doesn't put the uh, small business at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that's fascinating stuff, Anita. Um, very informative and some some insight there that certainly I hadn't appreciated before about about some of the challenges that face U.S. Uh, small businesses. Um, just remind us again of your uh, website address so that, that, that people can, can go there. I'd highly recommend it. It's, it's updated daily. There's a, there's a lot of useful uh, and practical information there for uh, small businesses, startups, and, and anyone interested in enterprise as a subject. Uh, yes, um, you can find Small Business Trends at www.smbtrends.com. SMB as in small medium business trends.com. 
and um, you know I'm always looking for good tips and insight, especially from um, places outside the U.S. Uh, you know, I I really welcome any kind of input that readers want to give. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, Anita, for your time. Thank you, Alex. It's been terrific. And now on to some brief news. What's in a name? Well, uh, Microsoft's small business team has commissioned a survey which finds, rather unbelievably, I think, 81% of small firms could fail because of their name. Apparently, UK firms spend either too much time or too little time coming up with a name, resulting in unmemorable monikers that could lose them business. Uh, to help solve this apparent problem, Microsoft has put together some tips on the art of naming a business at their B-Central website. More seriously, the Small Business Service this week announced that it would be seeking small firms to host civil servants so that the, the latter can get a better picture of the impact of red tape on SMEs in the real world. Um, sounds like a good idea, but let's hope this is more than just lip service and uh, really does result in a reduction in the red tape burden. Finally, uh, news just in, the British Chambers of Commerce warns against any future return to a system where business rates are controlled by local authorities. This comes ahead of the business rate revaluation, which is due to take place tomorrow. Every week on uh, Small Biz Pod, we plan to interview a small business owner or entrepreneur to give you uh, an insight into how they've achieved success and overcome some of the challenges that face uh, anyone starting up in business. Um, this week, I'm delighted to welcome Mike Siegel, who's Managing Director of Speed Networking Limited, uh, who describes himself as a, a serial entrepreneur and networker. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, speed ne networking is relatively new, uh, relatively new networking concept. Uh, I, I guess it's rather like speed dating. Uh, I've actually been on, on one of these types of events, not, not one of yours, Mike, but it seemed to work very well. Tell us a little bit about your, your business and how it differs from the uh, competition. Yes, of course. We started speed networking uh, just over two years ago now. Um, it's actually an American concept that started about uh, two and a half years ago in America. And I first came across it in London uh, around Christmas of 2002. Um, it works extremely well because what happens at most networking events is that you go along and at the end of the evening you found you've probably had six to eight fairly long conversations in depth with people and you go away with the intention of following them up. And the difference between that and speed networking is within two hours you're guaranteed to make 25 new business contacts. The, the difference between what we do and, and other speed network events that I've attended is we've actually spent two years on research and development um, honing the product so that, that at the end of the day you have a combination at our events of informal networking, a motivational spe speaker, and uh, then an hour's speed networking right at the end. Um, what I would say is that the greatest criticism leveled at speed networking is that it's the opposite of what you and I know as strong contact networking, um, organizations such as BRE and BNI, where people get together each week for weekly meetings and you're part of a group and you spend months getting to know and trust and understand the businesses of all the other people in the group. Well, that's not the point of speed networking. It's We are an introductions agency. So we put a lot of people together 
and then they can then, having introduced each other, spend the time getting to know each other. Do you think, Mike, that uh, I think it's about 90 seconds generally uh, that you are allowed to pitch your business at these speed networking events, do you think it's enough to uh, actually capture somebody's interest? It's enough time to get a flavour for people and what they do, to find out their name, the name of their company, the sort of business they're looking for, because speed networking is about, it's about giving, it's about asking people, how can I help you? So it is actually enough time. If you spend 90 seconds talking to somebody, you should in that time be able to get uh, that much across. At, at strong contact networking groups, people generally get 60 seconds to stand up and speak. So in those terms, we're actually giving people 50% uh, longer. There's a school of thought, however, that says that, that networking as a, as a concept is actually probably one of the most labor-intensive and, and least efficient ways of generating business leads. Um, why do it? I actually believe that if you are an owner-manager of a small to medium-sized enterprise, that you only really do have two ways of promoting your business and winning new clients. Uh, one of those is cold calling, which is not for everybody. A lot of people just do not like it and, and never get into it. The other is actually to go out there and network. Now, in, in that uh, context, what does networking mean? It actually means going out there and talking to people, telling them about your business, promoting what you do. And I actually believe there is no finer way of actually building a business than doing just that. It's, it's how I've built all of my businesses. Indeed, you say that's how you've built all of your, your businesses. You've, you've described yourself as a, as a serial entrepreneur. Um, what makes a good serial entrepreneur? I think the key is to um, find an idea that works for you, really, really concentrate on that idea, set the business up and get it running, and make sure it's running properly before you put the correct management and staff in place to continue to run that before you move on to the next project. Um, a, a lot of people, and in fact, um, Alan Sugar made a very interesting comment at uh, the uh, uh, start start up in business exhibition just before Christmas last year, which is a, that if if you call yourself an entrepreneur, you're probably not, and so you have to let uh, other people give you that title. The the key is is to concentrate on one thing at a time. A very good friend of mine, um, Alexis Garno Miller, who's the founding managing director of Utopia, which is an, an on, online networking community. Um, she's 31 years of age, and she has nine businesses up and running, all successfully. Great. Now, I know that uh, you have uh, international plans for, for Speed Networking Limited. Tell us a little bit about that. The company started as a means of generating referrals for our other businesses. Um, I have a partner in Speed Networking Limited. Uh, his name is Atul Patel, and uh, he, he's actually flown out to America yesterday to open up north-south America and Canada for us. Two years later, we find we have a global franchise uh, which is launching on uh, the 7th of April. And um, the reason that's come about is that we have a formula for running net speed networking events and a series of workshops which are branded You Can. So typically, uh, two of our favorite courses are You Can Be a More Powerful and Effective Networker, and another is uh, You Can Cold Call. And these courses are all aimed at uh, owner-managers of small to medium-sized enterprises. And we basically generated them on the pretext of 
uh, what keeps you awake at three o'clock in the morning because we all face the same problems we've all been through them we've all been there as i say been there you know done it worn the t-shirt um and suddenly we found that we had a franchise concept that people really want as i say we launched on the, the 7th of april um pre-launch we have already sold three franchises one of them internationally to brussels and um, in fact, uh, only this afternoon I compiled a list of inquiries, and we actually now have 38 inquiries from all around the world, including uh, China, um, Greece, and Australia. So we're, we're looking at a truly international concept. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the networking um, clearly does have its benefits, uh, globally recognized benefits, I guess. Yes, indeed. Um, good luck with the, uh, the launch next week, and uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much indeed. I actually had some positive feedback for the choice of song that I, I made last week. So uh, now you've encouraged me. Uh, here's another one. It's by a band called Damiella, and the tune is called Happy Feelings. <laughs>